It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, July 7th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The judge in the case of a former Sitka physician charged with multiple counts of sexual assault has declared a mistrial due to an inadequate jury pool. Sitka Superior Court Judge Jude Pate made the ruling Wednesday morning on the second day of jury selection, after it became clear that there would be too few jurors left once both parties had dismissed undesirable prospects. A new trial will be set for later in the year, KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. 78-year-old Richard McGrath is facing multiple criminal counts for allegedly assaulting three different women in his care while he was a doctor at Sitka Community Hospital in 2018 by sexually touching the victims when they were unaware that a sexual act was being committed. In impaneling juries for criminal trials in Alaska, attorneys for each side can drop as many as 11 prospective jurors through the peremptory challenge. In a high-stakes prosecution like McGrath's, attorneys commonly use all 11 challenges, especially when it's a complicated case with many witnesses, many of whom might be known to prospective jurors. The Sitka trial court called what initially appeared to be a sufficient jury pool for the case, but some of the names proved to be duplicates, there was one no-show, and some of the prospective jurors were excused out of hand by the judge for cause some reason that would affect their capacity to rule impartially on the case. After a day and a half, that left 35 prospective jurors. Superior Court Judge Jude Pate explained to them that the math wasn't going to work. Each side gets to pick 11 people, even though they can be fair and impartial, gets to draw 11 people off the jury. So, and I've heard from both parties that both parties are likely to use all of their 11, what we call preemptory decisions to pull people off, even though they could be fair and impartial, which would leave us with two of you, or actually one of you, and then we don't have enough jurors in reserve to make up the rest of the 14. So unfortunately, we won't be holding this trial in Sitka, it will be in another location in Southeast, possibly Juneau, we'll see. At the time he delivered this information to the jurors, Judge Pate believed that the parties had agreed to seek a change in venue, but McGrath's attorney, John Cashin, said that was not the case and that he would vigorously litigate any motion to move the trial out of Sitka. Judge Pate apologized for the misunderstanding and said he wouldn't further consider a change in venue without a formal motion, adding that the courts in Juneau and Ketchikan likely were as backlogged as Sitka. Attorney Bailey Jennifer Wolfstead, with the state's Office of Special Prosecutions, agreed that she did not see a scenario at this point in which we are able to get to a jury. Wolfstead said a mistrial would be incredibly disappointing to the victims, and this is not a decision that either of us came to lightly in any sense of the word. Judge Pate agreed to allow the parties time to confer on possible dates for another trial sometime later this year to be held in Sitka. In addition to facing criminal charges, McGrath is being sued in civil court for medical malpractice, along with the city of Sitka, which owned the now-defunct Sitka Community Hospital. The civil trial in that case has been set for May of 2023. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. 
Governor Dunleavy in June announced budget vetoes that equal over $763 million. That included a $5 million cut for ASME, the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. ASME is a state agency with a mission to increase the economic value of Alaska seafood and create a demand for it. Jeff Turner, spokesperson for the governor, said in an email that ASME received $7 million in federal COVID relief funds and has, quote, a substantial amount of program revenue available to carry into the next fiscal year. That leftover amount is $3.1 million. Turner wrote, All the funds that were vetoed from the fiscal year 23 budget will be deposited in the state's rainy day fund, the Constitutional Budget Reserve account. The Alaska legislature could override the governor's vetoes, but it takes 45 votes. Since Dunleavy has been in office, there has not been enough support for overrides. Southeast Alaska is home to at least six wild bat species, and maybe more. The nocturnal rodents are often not seen. That is, unless they've made a home out of your warm, inviting attic. But if that happens, getting them out can be quite the challenge. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. We'll have this little baby squealing mayday by midnight. All right, let's split up. There's a famous scene in the 1988 summer sleeper, The Great Outdoors, when John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, armed with tennis rackets and fishing nets, try to catch a bat that's loose in their rustic lakeside cabin. It's complete chaos until the bat finds a spot to land. It's all fun and games on the silver screen, but for Carrie Fenton, the experience is more than familiar. I woke up one morning um, in September 2020 with a bat on my face. (laughs) Fenton is a former Jesuit volunteer from Long Island, New York, and that's where she first learned about bats, through local bat revitalization programs. She went to college in New Orleans, the definitive vampire capital of the U.S., and then she lived in Montana for a year where she became accustomed to all kinds of wildlife. Rattlesnakes, mountain lions, bears. She even found a colony of bats in her big sky country home. Yeah, I had a very relaxed attitude about them coming to Sitka because I had lived for a year with bats and we could hear them kind of crawling around in the ceiling and crawling around in the walls. And we would see them all the time outside at night, you know, swooping around. It was about 5 a.m. on the morning when Fenton discovered the first bat in her house in Sitka. My first thought was I had like brushed this like furry thing off of my face and I was like, oh, there's a mouse in the house. And I rolled over and it was flying. I was like, oh my gosh, no, it's a bat. She called the nurse helpline at search and they told her that she needed to come to the hospital right away. And I got to the hospital and the nurses there were like, are you sure it was a bat? I don't think we have bats in Sitka. Um, and we spent like 15 minutes kind of going back and forth and they were like, oh yes, we do actually have bats. We need to have you come in. So I had to go through the rabies shots, which was not fun. I should disclose here that I too have lived among the bats. A colony inhabited my home in Alabama a decade ago, and I remember them swooping at me in the kitchen as I cooked spaghetti and lurking in the folds of my bath towels. I once picked one up, thinking it was a magnolia leaf I'd tracked indoors, and it screamed at me. I've dined out on that story for a long time, thinking it was unusual to discover a bat colony in your chimney. 
But it turns out it's pretty common. And yes, there are bats in southeast Alaska. We have six resident species, um, and then we have a seventh that we've recorded acoustically, but we've never captured or had any further documentation of. So yeah, quite a few. Karen Blavis is a wildlife biologist with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, working in their Threatened, Endangered, and Diversity program. For the last 10 years, her work has focused primarily on the bat populations in southeast Alaska. I loved studying bats because their behavior in southeast Alaska is so different. Each fall, bats swarm, mate, and then go into hibernation. They emerge in the spring from their hibernation sites and move to form maternity colonies, settling in warm environments where their pups will have the greatest chance to thrive. That's what Fenton was most likely experiencing in the spring of 2021, around half a year after she spotted the first bat. And we started seeing them more on the porch, flying around at night. Um, We started finding, like, poop in the house, on the porch all the time. And we realized, like, oh, actually, there's a lot of bats living here. But once there's a maternity colony nesting in your house, the real journey begins. It's illegal to kill bats, and Blavis says extermination is not an effective way to deal with them anyway. The bats present in a home on any given night are just a fraction of the total number of bats using the space. The females even switch roosts periodically during the summer, so there's constant turnover. Really, the only way, if you don't want them in your house, is to physically exclude them. And um, that can be challenging depending on how the house was constructed because um, bats uh, need only three-eighths of an inch uh, of a gap to, to crawl in. Last summer, Fenton tried to start that exclusion process with a pest removal company in Ketchikan. But at the time, they weren't traveling due to the pandemic. That left Fenton with one option— seal up the house herself once the bats left to hibernate and hope they didn't come back the following spring. But as the summer's warmth returned, the bats moved back in. And now she's couch surfing. It's definitely frustrating. Um, (laughs) uh, My landlord's been pretty supportive, though, and she's waived my rent, which has been really helpful. In June, the pest removers came to Sitka and surveyed her house with plans to seal up more potential entry points. She says she's glad that protections exist to keep bats safe, but she wishes there were more resources to support renters and homeowners in her situation. Yeah, bats are really incredible creatures, but I'm looking forward to the day when I don't live with them and they're not my roommates. (laughs) Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. You can find a link for resources and information on bats in southeast Alaska on our website, kcaw.org. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is 